setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. As most of you know, I'm professor of psychology at the University of Albany, author of Understanding Marijuana, chair of the board of directors at Normal, and I pen the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times. Today, we're going to burn away the cannabis myths with science. We're going to talk to Dr. Keith Saunders of Northeastern Institute of Cannabis, and we'll have our regular segment on self-compassion in the art of activism. Dr. Saunders got a bachelor's degree from Colgate, a PhD in sociology from Northeastern, but I promise this won't be a nerd fest. Because he's also former High Times Freedom Fighter of the Month. He's president or former president of Mass Can Chapter of Normal, a stellar contributor to the board of directors at National Normal, a frequent speaker at Hempfest, the man behind the Boston Freedom Rally, and he spearheaded the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis. He's also a devoted dad. Welcome to the show, Dr. Saunders. Well, it's great to be on the show here, Mitch. Sure thing. Can you tell me about the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis? The Northeastern Institute of Cannabis is the first vocational cannabis training institute uh, outside of California. And so uh, we are taking advantage of the situation in Massachusetts and in the Northeast where there have been medicinal reforms. Every state has some version of medicinal cannabis, which means there has to be a legal means of producing it, distributing it, processing it, packaging it, etc., that is what we teach people to do. We teach people how to legally grow and sell cannabis. That's just amazing, man. I can't imagine all the effort it took to get this uh, organized. Well, it seems like a natural outgrowth. Uh, one of the things that in my own personal career, I did my doctoral dissertation on looking at the cannabis policy reform movement in the United States and the popular culture that rose out of the prohibition itself. And in so many ways, I felt like I, I got my Ph.D. in 2002, and I was almost like 10 years too early because I sort of floated around in academia in, in the sort of adjunct position, teaching drugs in society, creating a marijuana and society curriculum, um, doing that as much as I could, but actually trying to find something where I could really engage with the substance itself in some substantive way. You know, I bet that undergraduate course must have been a, a riot. Uh, it was a very popular class when we ran it. We only, I only got to run it three times. But it was something where, obviously, people develop organic interests. This is one of the things that I've found with people who are deeply involved in the cultivation, deeply involved in the processing, the extraction, uh, or just in the, the culture and the movement itself, is a lot of organic intellectuals here. There are people who have learned a lot, a real specialization about something that there really is no formal curriculum for. So that's the great thing, is that nobody walks into the door here that has to be told, well, this is THC. Everybody knows what it is. And, uh, you know, most of them have some personal experience with it, which is to be expected nowadays. That's great. So how do you get the word out about the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis? What have you been doing? Well, we, um, we did a few things. We did some radio advertising. We have a Facebook page, of course. Um, we have... Uh, we tried to get an advertising campaign on the local public transit, the MBTA, 
but they said that they didn't like what we had to offer because we were promoting illegal goods or services or illegal activities, uh, which I find kind of ironic because we're a school and we don't even allow cannabis on our campus. So um, we, don't, we don't actually involve the, in the production or the distribution or anything regarding that. We just teach people how to do it when they go to the places where they can legally do that. Wait, so, so the, the bus key- company wouldn't take your money? Uh, we were going to be on the commuter rail and on the uh, couple of central downtown stations uh, with just an ad that had our uh, our slogan, We Teach You Grow, and a picture of a brand-new marijuana seedling. Uh, you could just make out the, the beginnings of the first set of leaves. And uh, basically saying that we have jobs in the cannabis industry that are emerging and get trained to work in this field because it's going to be growing. And, and they uh, would yeah, so it's Apparently, the MBTA, um, while they run a deficit, want to minimize the number of riders and reduce the amount of their ad revenue because we are literally, there will be dispensaries and grow sites that are serviceable by the MBTA. Uh, people would be going to jobs there. The T would be a means of getting yourself to those places. And uh, patients themselves would be going to dispensaries it's, uh, it seems to me that they need to get with the times, that they, they developed their original ad campaign um, policy in 2001 when they had been sued for um, banning an ad series that, that basically just said we should reconsider marijuana prohibition. It was by a group called Change the Climate who had been trying to run ads in Washington, D.C., New York City, and in Boston. And they got rejected in Boston, and the reason that he said is because they were making a political message they didn't agree with. Well, at that point, the, they went to the court, and obviously the court sided on the First Amendment that the T is a place of place, a public venue, it's of public access, and advertising is speech, and if they can't, because they disagree with the viewpoint, ban the ad. However, uh, they restructured their policy as that was happening so that by the end of it, they put it in such a way that they could now legally filter the ad content. We're gonna so look, that's what we have. And we're going to look back on this, and it's going to be like any other censorship we ever you know, shudder at. This is, this is astounding. So tell me about the courses at, at, at the NIC. Well, the courses that we have, we have a couple courses in law and policy. That is, we have a, a law class and a regulations class. The regulations focuses much more on the uh, way that one operates and applies for and works within a dispensary or a legal grow operation in Massachusetts. The law class is more of a New England Canada law class. Uh, we have classes on science and safety. Uh, because even though people can't lethally overdose on cannabis, you can have an overdose. You can literally take more than you want it to. And so having learned, teaching people titration techniques, uh, teaching people uh, harm reduction techniques in terms of consumption, uh, the proper way to, con- to cultivate or to test for mold, for toxins, how to flush plants, uh, that type of stuff. We have courses on hemp and history. Uh, we have courses on cultivation, of course and in patient and client services, which is working in the dispensaries or now in the legal retail markets that are opening out west. Uh, so we are 
training people for a broad spectrum of occupation in the industry. Our, we have a business class that teaches people the entrepreneurial aspects, uh, the side industries, the auxiliary businesses that have that have flourished under uh, a loosening of cannabis prohibition laws. And then we also have a vocational training class where we teach people the various roles in the dispensary, in the processing uh, of cannabis from flour into uh, various forms of consumables. So we address that entire spectrum. We also have our medical marijuana 101 class uh, that looks at the endocannabinol system, and uh, that's actually taught by a practicing medical doctor. In fact, all of our courses are taught by people who have uh, qualifications and practical experiences in the fields that they teach. Wow. Do you feel like commenting a little bit on where the Massachusetts laws are right now? Well, uh, Massachusetts has long been a very favorable state as far as uh, tolerance for cannabis. Uh, sometime in the early 2000s, uh, MassCan had been conducting public policy polls and started asking questions about decriminalization and then got bolder and started asking questions about medical marijuana and then legalization and, and hemp cultivation. And over the course of uh, 1999 through 2012, asked questions in over 60 representative, state representative and state senatorial districts and went 60 for 60, never lost. And these aren't specially targeted. This was throwing, let's throw it into this district and see what happens there. And this person says that they made a statement that was just to prove their ignorance about cannabis. Let's get their, their constituents to give them a message. And that was, that was what we did. And it, we never lost. And so we knew in 2008 when the decriminalization law was taking place, which turns out to have some unintended consequences that have been really um, liberatory. For lack of a better term, I'll tell you about those details in a second. We get the 2008 decrim, and then we get in 2012, we get medicinal, and that was stonewalled by the Department of Public Health. Now, something happened in 2010 nationally with medicinal, and that's when Arizona, for the first time, we see the concept of hardship put into the law. And that concept of hardship is a person qualifies as a patient but must not be able to access a dispensary because of financial distance, travel, or some other type of an impediment that keeps them from going to a dispensary. But if they have the capacity to go to a dispensary and the reasonable financial means to purchase cannabis from dispensaries, then they are bound by the policy to do so. And that's the law in Connecticut. It is the law in Massachusetts. It is the law in um, let's see, it won't be the law in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is completely centralized. I believe Vermont has a degree. No, Vermont may have a degree of hardship cultivation. But New York will not have hardship. That is, we have moved historically from California, which is a wide open, anybody can be a patient with qualification and anybody can be a member of a cooperative. Uh, and then that expanded and sort of shifted into the dispensary model. Um, and we've gotten more and more restrictive as we've as the years and the poly and you know, as the cycles have gone by, and so Arizona was the first state with hardship. Massachusetts has hardship, and what this does is it forces people into a particularly very Soviet-style uh, state form of control, where in Massachusetts every gram of usable cannabis has to be inventoried and reported to the state that the, the producers cannot produce without permission from the state, and they can only produce to the volume that the state allows them to produce. 
Um, their their ability to to uh, sell is restricted. Uh, they have not only restricted that they can only sell to patients, and the patients are on a registry, um, which seems to, which is now not even a question anymore. They're, every state will have a registry, and so and then. This brings us into a system where in Massachusetts, one of our graduates just got a job cultivating at uh, the New England Treatment Associates uh, Cultivation Center in Franklin, Massachusetts, and the Cultivation Center's security system was designed by a person who designs prisons. And the system and the steep steps that they have to go through in order to go to work, they have to strip down to their underwear and socks, they have to put on other, you know, a uniform of, you know, jumpsuit clothes type of thing. They can't wear their own shoes inside. They're under three cameras and audio recording at all times. They have to walk down a particular carpet to get out of the work spot. They go through a blower system where they are blown with air, jets of air all over their body because goodness knows they might have a small fleck of cannabis on them. And it's, it's almost like silkwood. It sounds <laughs> just like it. Well, so, yeah, and so this is the situation. There is this block-step control over production and distribution and this measured inventory and so forth, as if this was a radioactive substance. And the funniest thing is, is that in 2016, we're going to have legalization in Massachusetts, and whether it's Bay State Repeal's version of it or whether it's MPP's version of it, there's going to be a home grow provision, which will wipe out the entire security need altogether. That's just wild. Hey, we got to take a break, but uh, we'll be back with some more words of wisdom from Dr. Keith Saunders right after these messages. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. It's time to check in with Doc Robb and the concierge for better living. We take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. The Concierge for Better Living will help informed, intrigued, and interested listeners like you make better choices for yourselves and your loved ones. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, 
and we're back with Dr. Keith Saunders, who's been talking about some of the wild, unintended consequences of uh, the interesting laws in Massachusetts. Was there more you wanted to tell us about that? Well, yes, indeed. The 2008 decriminalization law in Massachusetts um, removed the possession of less of one ounce or less of, of THC by Massachusetts law. Any cannabis that is more than three percent tetrahydrocannabinol by weight is classified as THC. So it doesn't matter what percentage above that. So up to one ounce of THC has been decriminalized in Massachusetts with a $100 municipal infraction, a civil infraction. Um, this has led to police encounters with people and conducting what used to be standard searches of people's persons and cars. The first case was the Cruz case, and in the Cruz case, it, a known uh, criminal figure was seen in a vehicle that was parked illegally by a fire hydrant and um, when approaching the vehicle to write the ticket the officer smelled burned marijuana used that as probable cause to get the suspect out of the car and did the whole pat down found a weapon got arrested him etc uh... that was thrown out the smell of burnt marijuana in a car is not proof of possession of more than one ounce and so therefore the default is it must be less than one ounce because you are innocent until proven guilty um, and so that's, that probable cause was removed. In a second case, at the Boston Freedom Rally, a person was seen passing a joint to another person. That person was then searched and was found to possess several small bags weighing about one gram each of cannabis. The police arrested him, charged him with possession with intent to distribute, and said that his passing the joint was the probable cause because that was distribution itself, which is not legal in Massachusetts, or at least not legal at that time in that way in Massachusetts. And so the court looked at it and said, no, the passing of possession, visible possession and sharing of small amounts of cannabis is not probable cause for further search. However, the possession of the cannabis that the person had in the bag uh, was even though less than one ounce because it was packaged as if it was sellable, it could be considered possession with intent to distribute. However, you can't search the bag because you didn't have cause to do that. The next case was a driver was pulled over for a roadside checkpoint and the officer smelled fresh marijuana. Um, the tech used that as the reason to search the vehicle found indeed a, an amount of marijuana greater than one ounce. Uh, that was taken to the court, and the court said that, no, the smell of fresh marijuana, you cannot determine the weight by the smell. And so the scent of fresh marijuana is not probable cause for a search. And then in the latest case just decided a few months ago, police had pulled somebody over. They had a, a T-shirt or a cloth over bags of cannabis, each one of them weighing one ounce, four one-ounce bags, and the officer in conducting the stop noticed the corner of one bag. Used that as the reason, told the person, you know, used that as the reason to lift up the cloth, lifted up the cloth, saw the other bags, charged the person with possession, criminal possession of more than one ounce and possession with intent to distribute. The court said that if the officer can see the cannabis but cannot discern simply by sight that the weight of the cannabis is more than one ounce, all they can do is tell the person to render the cannabis to them, and if it's less than an ounce, it is not probable cause for a search. Wow, so you can't smell the weight or see it. Uh, even if search. you can see it, even if you can see it, 
if you can't see that it weighs more than an ounce, it's not probable cause. Or you, all you can do is say, give me that. That's cannabis. Give me that. That's, you're not, you know, that's a civil infraction, and you're supposed to turn that over. And the person can pull it out from under the cloth and hand it to the officer. And if it's an ounce or less, that's a $100 fine. Wow. Times have really changed. And you'd think in a, in a climate like this that the, the, those who are putting in medical cannabis wouldn't be so uptight about it. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I know you're talking about uh, the making of extracts as well in some of your classes. Do you feel like that's changed uh, the cannabis world in some sense, particularly the, the smokable ones, the dabs? It is. Well, there is so much progress happening in this. And, and here's another example of, of sort of the... The, the intellectual curiosity of people. Um, the extraction of cannabis using solvents um, was, you know, extraction of essential oils using solvents was not new, but people started doing it using butane, using propane, um, and then people started discovering, well, you can use carbon dioxide through the same type of extraction process, and that will work, and that is uh, not toxic. Uh, well, I mean, it's toxic if you have too much of it in your lungs or in your bloodstream, but it's not toxic in and of itself. Um, and then what has happened is in, in the past couple of years, people have realized that you can heat press cannabis flowers and literally in seconds go from cannabis flowers to a dabable cannabis concentrate that has much more terpenoid than you'd find in any type of an extraction. Uh, any type of a solvent extraction. It's a, it's a solventless extraction. It's a lot faster than ice water extraction, which which can take hours and hours while you wait for stuff to dry and you have to wait for the bags to drain and so forth. This is literally a piece of parchment paper, a hair straightener, 300 degrees, and, and squeezing it. And it will produce some rendering of the essential oil and as far as the terpenoids. And essentially, the uh, the impact is markedly uh, more dramatic. Is that consistent with your experiences um, or reports? Well, as far as extractions as, as a whole, yes. Well, that's to be expected as well. Um, it's um, it is you know, unlike alcohol, you cannot lethally overdose on cannabinoids. So it's you know, but you can overdose easily, and people do overdose on on, on dabs, uh, especially people who are either inexperienced or people who are some degree of experience, but they're they're playing games with it because that's what we do in America because we don't have that socialization process that that sort of teaches people how uh, different ways of consuming drugs. I mean, they, in in the United States, teenagers learn to drink from their peers. And that's why they play, play drinking games in college, because it's just that nobody was there to sort of show them that that's not how you consume it that way, or there's alternatives to that. Um, so, yes, the extraction process, um, or sorry, the, the use of the extracts um, is something that people should do in moderation, especially early on. They should never take it and try to out-dab themselves. Um, as far as the um, the heat press extraction, because there's the terpenoids, one gets what's called the entourage effect. You have the spectrum of cannabinoids and the, the complements of the terpenoids. And so that will change the effect. That We know that myrcene enhances the effect of, of tetrahydrocannabinol. Uh, we you know we know that it enhances the onset. It strengthens the the, the feeling of of the experience. Um, so, yes, that's one of the things that's beneficial of this. Um, it doesn't have any solvents. It is quick and easy to do. 
Um, it's something where, uh, you know, it's, it, it will get to a point where there is a commercial version of this, where there's going to be a volume, and it's probably going to be in the next few months people will figure out how to do it exactly at the right pressure, the right temperature, the right duration, and they'll come up with the method of, of uh, figuring it out. And that, that's great because it means that a lot fewer people will be in a position of, you know, accidentally blowing themselves up because they don't really know what they're doing. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like there's a lot to learn at the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis. Yes, where there else? is. Oh, yeah. Where, where can we reach you now? You mentioned the Facebook? Uh, you can go to Facebook. It's the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis on Facebook. Or you can go to instituteofcannabis.com. That's our website. Oh, well, that's great. Well, hey, I really appreciate getting the time with you, and we'll have to have you come back again because it sounds like there's a a whole lot more to learn. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Mitch, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing you speak at the Freedom Rally this coming fall. That would be great, man. Looking forward to it myself. Thanks so much for being with us on Burning Issues. We'll be right back with self-compassion and the art of activism. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network, CannabisRadio.com. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Listen in as Dr. Dina, medical marijuana pioneer and inspiration for the award-winning TV series, Weeds, shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Burning Issues. Here's our next chapter of Self-Compassion and the Art of Activism, the portion of the show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. Let's spend some time on praise. We've emphasized praise in the past. Now's the time for some details. Praise is important in all our relationships, from work to home. We want to keep our ratio of positive interactions to negative interactions high, at least five to one, as we talked about before. Any criticism is easier to weather when we've already got five positive interactions in the bank. That five to one ratio helps cultivate relationships and maintain a good environment. Praise can help us keep that ratio high. 
any kind of praise can be a big plus, but six qualities can make praise particularly effective. The best praise is sincere, timely, specific, public, tangible, and unexpected. Sure, the best praise has all six of these, but go with as many as you can fit. Let's get into these for a second. The first quality is essential. Be sincere. Heartfelt praise is superb. Half-hearted praise will ring hollow. Applaud what you really love. We don't want to increase actions that we don't really think are wonderful anyway. Like the dessert? Then rave about the dessert, not the whole dinner. Praise the praiseworthy and let the rest go. Only praise the actions that generate sincere gratitude. Next, praise should be timely. We learn best when the praise comes immediately. Praise the dessert as you're eating it. Mmm, this dessert is delightful. Beats, hey, remember that dessert you made last week? Well, nice job. Better late than never and all that. But if you wait a long time, people don't learn what to do fast enough. So praise right away. And spontaneous praise is often the most sincere. You get the idea. In addition, praise should be specific. It's best to link the praise to explicit actions. You're a great cook is always fun to hear, but it doesn't tell anybody what dishes to cook next time. You're a great cook and I love this dessert is more specific. You're a wonderful person is great, but... It was nice of you to fill out those forms for our client, or, hey, it's great when you put away the dishes without being asked, that might work even better. They're just more definite, they're more explicit. Praise like that lets people know what to do in a similar situation. Of course, you can always throw in the wonderful person part too, but be specific. Also, never miss a chance to give praise in public. Public praise is outstanding. It's ideal for making people feel extra good in front of others. It also gives them the chance to offer praise to everybody who helped them. I recently got to give Chris Goldstein a Normal Activist Award in front of a big crowd in Washington, D.C. Chris accepted the award really graciously, and then he quickly thanked all his supporters. It let everybody know that we're all a big team in activism, and we can all share the glory. Chris got to feel good. But so did all the other folks he mentioned, and it made me feel good too. And what could be more public than mentioning it yet again on Burning Issues? The flip side of public praise is also true. Don't criticize in public. Corrections are best done in private. Nobody needs to get dressed down in front of others. If you do have a critique, save it for a one-on-one session. Hey, that's how you'd want it done, right? Talk is cheap, so anytime you can, make praise tangible. I gave Chris Goldstein a plaque and a mighty fine one. But tangible tokens of praise don't need to be that elaborate. A simple gesture can often do the trick. If you know the person's favorite candy bar or their favorite cannabis strain, you probably got a tangible praise lined up. In my lab, particularly over the last 10 years, when grad students publish their first paper, they get a bottle of champagne. I know you're probably wondering why not a vaporizer, but I'm in enough trouble with the dean as it is. A bottle of champagne is not a huge deal, but I think the students remember it, and they remember it fondly. And every one of them went on to publish another paper. Finally, try to make praise unexpected. 
there might be a whole separate brain pathway when it comes to unexpected positive events. So sure, the annual award ceremony is a great place for praise, but sometimes it's the little surprise praises that have the biggest impact. Slip some praise in when it's not anticipated. Hey, I hope Chris Goldstein is astonished when he hears this show and feels the love. And last but not least, don't forget about a little self-validation here. You can always praise yourself. Those of us who are old enough to remember the TV show Twin Peaks might recall a great quotation from the lead character, Agent Cooper. He said, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present. Make it sincere, timely, specific, public, tangible, and as unexpected as possible, too. So in the spirit of praise, thanks for listening to Burning Issues. My hearty thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco, who's a wonderful person, and our guest, Dr. Keith Saunders of Northeastern Institute of Cannabis, who is also quite the guy. So don't forget to join us again next week. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.